big welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Evidence-Based Hair Podcast. I'm dermatologist Dr. Jeff Donovan. The Evidence-Based Hair Podcast was produced by the Donovan Hair Academy. It was created for hair loss practitioners, as well as all those that wish to dive into the fascinating and ever-changing world of hair loss. Each week I review studies that are changing how we think about hair loss. I'll introduce them to you, help you make sense of them, and then give you my thoughts on how a given study just might change how we diagnose or treat hair loss. Today it's my great pleasure to discuss JAK inhibitors and side effects that come from JAK inhibitors. We'll begin with two very interesting studies. The first by Ingracia and colleagues in JAMA Dermatology, November 2023, looking at the risk of major adverse cardiac events and venous thromboembolism in patients with skin diseases who are using JAK inhibitors. You know, the oral surveillance study in 2022 triggered a black box warning that patients with rheumatoid arthritis that were 50 years of age and older that had cardiovascular risk factors were more likely to develop major adverse cardiac events, venous thromboembolism, infection, cancer, and more likely to die. And that really set off this black box warning that the FDA has now put on many of these JAK inhibitors. A key question for all of us is, does this apply to our patients in dermatology? Are our patients with alopecia areata at increased risk for major adverse cardiac events, venous thromboembolism, death, infection, cancer, if they use these JAK inhibitors? What about our patients with vitiligo, atopic dermatitis? Well, Ingracia and colleagues set out to look at at least some of this. They performed a systematic review and meta-analysis of all the JAK inhibitor studies in the dermatology field, including patients with alopecia areata, psoriasis, vitiligo, atopic dermatitis, and provided the study had a placebo or control group that was included in the meta-analysis. And they found there was no increased risk of major adverse cardiac events or venous thromboembolism in these 35 randomized controlled trials in the dermatology world. So pretty encouraging that perhaps in dermatology patients outside of the rheumatology world, perhaps these JAK inhibitors have reasonably good safety profile as far as major adverse cardiac events and venous thromboembolism goes. Then we'll take a look at a study looking at the relationship between JAK inhibitors and acne, a study by Martinez and colleagues in JAMA Dermatology in October. Do JAK inhibitors have different risk of causing acne. It's often quoted that 45 to 6% of patients using JAK inhibitors get acne. Is it the same with different JAK inhibitors? Well, the authors here set out to perform a systematic review and meta-analysis of 25 studies of 10,000 patients. Abrocitinib had the highest risk of causing acne, followed by baricitinib, upadacitinib, and others. Interestingly, there was no difference with the pan jacks like tofacitinib and no increased risk with the JAK3-specific 
JAK inhibitors like ritlicitinib. So we'll take a look at that study. The references for all of these studies are in the show notes that accompany this episode. So we'll begin by this study by Ingracia and colleagues in JAMA Dermatology, November 2023, titled Cardiovascular and Venous Thromboembolic Risk with JAK Inhibitors in Immune-Mediated Inflammatory Skin Diseases, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. So JAK inhibitors have entered onto the scene as helpful treatments for many dermatologic problems. Alopecia areata, atopic dermatitis, vitiligo, psoriasis. And we've been discussing JAK inhibitors quite a bit on the Evidence-Based Hair Podcast over the past few years. And as you may be aware, there's a black boxed warning, or as it's now called, a box warning, from the FDA about... JAK inhibitors potentially causing increased infections, mortality, cancer, major adverse cardiac events, and blood clots. And that data really comes from important studies in the rheumatologic literature. Studies in rheumatoid arthritis in patients 50 years of age and over who had at least one cardiovascular risk factors, and that was published by Itterberg and colleagues in the New England Journal of Medicine and other studies have really harvested data from the oral surveillance studies. So there's lots of studies looking at this powerful oral surveillance study. The oral surveillance study is really important. But the key question is, does it apply just to rheumatoid arthritis patients? Or does the information in that wonderful study also apply to alopecia areata patients? vitiligo patients, atopic dermatitis patients? So that's a key question we're going to address today. The oral surveillance study caused shockwaves around the world, suggesting that rheumatoid arthritis patients, 50 years of age and over, with cardiovascular risk factors, many of whom were smokers, and again, they were using methotrexate, were at increased risk to have infections, blood clots, cancer, death, major adverse cardiac events if they used tofacitinib. And the Itterberg study really affected how JAK inhibitors are prescribed in rheumatology. And I think it's a fundamental study to know about. You need to know it inside and out if you're going to really understand JAK inhibitors. A key question for us in dermatology is, do these oral surveillance results really and truly apply to dermatology patients? Or is it just applying to rheumatology patients? Does a patient with alopecia areata or vitiligo or atopic dermatitis have an increased risk of blood clots, heart disease? Well, Ingracia and colleagues set out to look at this question. They performed a systematic review and meta-analysis of all the randomized placebo-controlled trials of JAK inhibitors in skin disease patients. And they looked at the risk of all-cause mortality, major adverse cardiac events, and venous thromboembolism. They didn't look at infection and cancer. They chose to look at major adverse cardiac events and venous thromboembolism. So they included 
dermatology patients who were participating in a phase three randomized clinical trial of an approved JAK inhibitor that was being used for an inflammatory skin disease. And provided the trial had a placebo group, a comparator group, it was included, and they found 35 such trials. The primary outcome was patients developing major adverse cardiac events, all-cause mortality, and venous thromboembolism. So they found 35 randomized controlled trials, 8 with baricitinib, 7 with tofacitinib, 1 with ritlicitinib, 7 with upadacitinib, 6 with abrocitinib, 2 with dogotocitinib cream, 4 with ruxolitinib cream. These 35 randomized controlled trials had 20,651 patients. 13,000 were randomized to a jack, and there were 7,000 controls. Mean age of patients was 38 years. The follow-up time was short, just 4.9 months. And we'll come back to this in a minute, but that's really important. All this data that's accumulating in dermatology is wonderful. But jack inhibitors are fairly new in the dermatology world, and follow-up intervals are pretty short. But the diseases that were studied, these immune-mediated inflammatory skin diseases that were studied included atopic dermatitis in 21 trials. That was the major trials here. Three trials of alopecia areata, nine trials of psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, two trials of vitiligo. So mostly atopic dermatitis is what these studies are about. But the results teach us that there was no significant difference between JAK inhibitors and placebo or comparator in major adverse cardiac events, all-cause mortality, or venous thromboembolism. It's a really helpful study for all of us in dermatology who are using these JAK inhibitors and thinking back to the oral surveillance study and thinking, is my prescribing this JAK inhibitor today to this patient going to increase the risk of Cardiac disease, blood clots, infections, death. This data here is really important, the Ingrassi et al. study, because it tells us that the risk may be different in our dermatology patients. That that data from the rheumatology world in the oral surveillance study just might not apply the same way in our dermatology patients. This is a very nice study, this JAMA Dermatology paper from November. What I really liked is their very honest and straightforward discussion. They point out the limitations of their paper very nicely. They point out many of the differences between their meta-analysis and the oral surveillance study. First, they tell us that dermatology patients are much younger than oral surveillance study patients. Dermatology patients in this meta-analysis were 38.5 years, Rheumatoid arthritis patients in the oral surveillance were over 60. So that fact alone can explain lower cardiac risk, blood clots. Younger patients are healthier, so we have to keep that in mind. And we have to think that, because if you're prescribing a JAK inhibitor to someone who's 21, and you're prescribing a JAK inhibitor to someone who's 74 for alopecia areata, you absolutely better believe that there's a difference in risk. And so we need to keep that in mind at all times. 
And when we analyze studies, we need to look at what is the population. So our JAK inhibitor studies in dermatology are with young patients that are very healthy. The JAK inhibitor studies in rheumatology are with older patients that were not as healthy. The authors remind us that patients in the oral surveillance study had higher cardiovascular risk. They were recruited into the oral surveillance study only if they had at least one cardiovascular risk factor. Patients in the oral surveillance study had methotrexate on board. Many received systemic steroids. This is very different than these 35 randomized controlled trials in the Ingrassia study, where patients were just receiving JAK inhibitor monotherapy. The oral surveillance study was a follow-up study for four years. That's what made it so relevant. The patients were followed for a long, long time. The meta-analysis here by Ingrassia had a mean duration of follow-up of five months. So we have to keep that in mind. That if some of these side effects develop in alopecia areata patients after a year or two of therapy, you're not, you're not going to capture it in these particular studies. And so long-term follow-up studies are really important. And those are taking place. The BRAVE AA1 and BRAVE AA2 studies have this long-term study. And of course, the FDA requires all these new drugs entering the market to undergo you know, phase four evaluation to post-marketing surveillance. So we will get there over time. But these randomized controlled trials are really short. The authors of the Ingrassia et al. study remind us that the oral surveillance was a study of tofacitinib, which is a JAK1-3 inhibitor. But most of the new JAKs are different. JAK1-2 inhibitors like baricitinib, ritalicitinib, JAK3, TEC inhibitor. So does this matter? It probably does matter. So we have to keep that in mind. And the authors also remind us that the boxed warning from the FDA has major adverse cardiac events, death, venous thromboembolism, but also infections and cancer. And infections and cancer weren't studied here. But what we can say here is that of these 35 trials of very short duration, five months of follow-up, mean five months of follow-up, there's no major signals for venous thromboembolism and major adverse cardiac events. So that's pretty good news. That's pretty good news as you're sitting across from a patient who's 21 years old and you're about to prescribe a JAK inhibitor. We can feel at least somewhat good that risks of blood clots, risk of cardiac events are are pretty low, if not the same as placebo, but they're pretty low. And that we can at least feel that, yeah, maybe just maybe the data from the oral surveillance study doesn't apply. We can't be too confident because it's short duration of follow-up, because the studies are not the same, but at least it eases our mind a little bit. Clearly, long-term studies are needed. So we move on now to another side effect of JAK inhibitors, and that is acne, or what's called JAKNE. It's thought that 3 to 5 to 6% of patients on JAK inhibitors develop acne. Is there a different risk 
with different JAK inhibitors. Well, that was what Martinez et al. set out to do in their study in the JAMA Dermatology October 2023 issue titled Janus Kinase Inhibitors and Adverse Events of Acne, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. So acne is a recognized side effect of some of these JAK inhibitors. Do they all have the same risk or not? Well, the authors here set out to answer that question by performing a systematic review and meta-analysis. They found 25 phase 2 and phase 3 studies with about 10,000 patients, and participants received either a JAK inhibitor or a control. And overall, when you look at all those 25 studies, all those 10,000 patients, acne was a side effect in 6.2% of patients on JAK inhibitors and 1.3% of controls. But the risk of acne differed according to the JAK inhibitor. The JAK inhibitor with the highest risk was abrocitinib, a JAK1 inhibitor. Second place was baricitinib and upadacitinib with a five-fold increased risk of causing acne. Deruxolitinib, ducravacitinib, causing about a three-fold increased risk of acne. Some JAK inhibitors in the meta-analysis didn't have an increased risk. The pan-JAK inhibitors, like tofacitinib, did not have an increased risk of acne. And the JAK3-specific inhibitors, like ritalicitinib, did not have an increased risk of acne. So it's really important to understand differences in side effects for different categories of side effects with JAK inhibitors. Right now, we're programmed to do a lot of lumping when we counsel patients. JAK inhibitors may cause an increased risk of acne, may cause increased risk of infection, may cause increased risk of cardiac events, may cause increased risk of blood clots, may cause increased risk of cancer. And as we're seeing now, we need to think about the various JAK inhibitors, and whether we can apply the same counseling to this identical JAK inhibitor. Does the counseling I give when I prescribe tofacitinib have to be the exact same counseling when I prescribe ritlicitinib or baricitinib? Well, right now it seems pretty close. But as we're learning here, there's differences in these JAK inhibitors. And as we're learning, the counseling you give a rheumatoid arthritis patient about to start a JAK inhibitor, just may be different than the counseling you give an alopecia areata patient about to start a JAK inhibitor. It may be. It's not yet, but it may be. I think we still need to warn patients about the black box warning or the box warning, but we're slowly coming to realize that maybe, just maybe, there's major differences in our counseling. But this nice study here by Martinez teaches us that the risk of acne may be very different. Abrocitinib is the winner with a 13-fold increased risk of acne. Something like ritlicitinib may not increase the risk of acne much at all. And so that's it for this week. We have these two really nice studies looking at JAK inhibitor side effects. Ingracia and colleagues in JAMA Dermatology in November perform this very nice meta-analysis looking at the risk of major adverse cardiac events and venous thromboembolism in dermatology patients treated with JAK inhibitors. 
in their 35 randomized controlled trials, they found that there's no increased risk of major adverse cardiac events or venous thromboembolism. Really reassuring data. Clearly, more studies are needed with longer follow-up. That's really encouraging data. And then this very nice meta-analysis by Martinez and colleagues looking at the risk of acne, teaching us that some JAK inhibitors like abrocitinib have particularly increased risk, whereas others, like the JAK3-specific JAK inhibitors, like ritlocitinib, or the pan-JAKs like tofacitinib, may in fact have minimal risk or no risk at all. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, I'd like to invite you to join me for a very special annual event, and that's the top 20 hair research studies of 2023. That takes place December the 13th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's a live webinar, which honors the top 20 hair research studies of the year gone by. It's an event that we hold every year. A wonderful event, and I hope you'll join me for that particular event. It will be uploaded to YouTube and we'll also have it on the podcast channels as well. If you'd like to connect with our office at any time, you can certainly do so. We're at info at donovanhairacademy.com. You can connect with us on Facebook, on X, on Instagram using the Donovan Medical handle. We're open 24 hours a day. The Donovan Medical website has lots of great articles, a decade worth of great stuff. You could subscribe to our blog articles and you'll get an email when a new article is uploaded to the website. Our question of the week is a great way to look at questions that patients have about hair loss in a way that you might not thought about hair loss problems before. And on the education tab, you can also see upcoming webinars, not only the top 20 of 2023, but other webinars that we're holding throughout the year. That's it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next week, Wednesday, for the top 20 hair research studies of 2023. I hope you'll join me for this annual event. Always a wonderful event that honors great research that's changing how we think about hair loss, changing what we do in the clinic, changing how we talk to patients about their hair loss. Thanks so much again for joining me this week. We'll see you again for another episode of the Evidence-Based Hair Podcast. Bye for now. 